You're listening to the Beside the Badge podcast with your host, Paul Bunker, veteran chaplain and friend to law enforcement. Welcome back to yet another episode of Beside the Badge. My name is Paul Buckner. I'm your host, civilian police chaplain. We are talking about perspective. In this episode, we're talking about being a father. Now, I talk from the perspective of a father because I am one, um, but this also applies to being a mother. And um, women are typically blessed with better nurturing skills than men, so oftentimes they face fewer challenges in this area. But we've talked about being a man of God. We've talked about being a husband. And those things, one sits over the other. The, the reason that I am the husband that I am, the reason that I am the father that I am, for all of my many faults that my wife and my, my son and stepchildren could uh, point out, I strive to be a good husband and father. So let's talk about being a father. And really to talk about being a father, we got to talk about the absence of being a father. We're in a culture now that marriage has been destroyed to the point uh, it's become this this literally commodity that can be tossed away. Uh, it's something that we, we oftentimes take uh, so cavalierly and we throw it aside that it damages kids so readily. And many of you listening to this are going to go, yeah, I, I'm a product of divorce. And so I got to see some very, very unique things growing up. My mom was raised in a home that was um, not a happy place. And um, there was a lot of violence there. And my dad was raised in, a, in a, an abusive home. And when I was born, and that's why, if you're watching this, that's why I smiled just then, I never met those grandparents. And um, for me, I never met those parents. Um, my mom and dad should have been gasoline in a road flare. My mom and dad should have been, um, should, I should have been raised in a very abusive environment um my mom and dad became christians and adopted that the lifestyle of forgiveness adopted the lifestyle of of discipline not abuse adopted a lifestyle of loving each other through the tough times that they saw modeled in scripture and when they had that to to grow off of i've talked before about having a a lattice work for the vine to grow up it doesn't just bloom it produces fruit they they became different people and they literally they drew a line in the sand and they said this happened to us we're not going to repeat it this far and no farther and there's so much there's so much power in looking at a situation and developing role models and mentors and my parents developed both and by the time i was born those parents were totally different people those um, grandparents later became believers all but one and I never met the abusive grandfather I never met the the violent grandfather on the opposite side with with that um, they were born-again believers and had changed their lifestyle significantly and I had one grandparent that is to the best of my knowledge never accepted the Lord but I saw what divorce had done to my mom and unfortunately in my own life i didn't choose too wisely the first time around and and i believe that marriage is a a very sacred and important thing not to be easily disposed of and 
I did not marry somebody who agreed. And when the going got tough, that individual left. Well, that's fine. I've now been married as of this podcast. I've been married uh, to an adult, uh, wonderful person who values marriage and values uh, me, which is awesome, for 17 years. And so why, why do I talk about a relationship with God? And then why do I talk about being a, a spouse when we talked about this in the last two episodes? Literally, they think of them, they are like umbrellas over the top, sheltering or a foundation underneath building two. And so that is a very, that is a very real reality. That's a very real thing. Children, if you talk about the absence of what a parent does in a child's life, um, there's a stability inside of a home when both parents are still there. Now, if you're like me and uh, and you didn't get to do that for your child or children, um, it comes with regrets, but that's there. That is the thing. And there are insecurities that develop in a child's life. Um, there are a lot of problems that develop in a child's life if the father is not present. And you know, if you're a mom or you have a sister that was in a relationship that was super destructive um, and you're you're like, well, I had to get away from that. I'm not saying stay. I'm not saying that you have to stay with somebody that's violent and destructive. I, I kind of ministered to a lady Sunday at church that is, has gotten away from an abusive relationship. I'm going to take a coffee sip break. Mm. And it's still dealing with the guy uh, restraining orders and all but the absence of a father in a child's life is uniquely felt if you work with gang units uh in the inner city or or sometimes in suburbia there is an absence that gets filled in the lives of these young men primarily that they are looking for a father figure many underage girls go looking for relationships with young men and sometimes not so young men because of the absence of a father. And this is something that is, there are there are huge amounts of data to to back these things up. The absence of a father in a in a child's life is incredibly destructive. And I can tell you as someone who had a good father, but whose father died young, um, that that the absence of my father in my life uh left he was 55 and I was I think he, he was 55 and I was uh, 26, something like that. And, uh, and it was very damaging. It's one of the reasons that in another episode, I will talk about my philosophy of being war ready, of being the man that is there for your family and is healthy enough to go the distance, whether it's to run to save a child, to fight to save your family, literally, or to go the distance and fight to stay healthy long enough to be the mentor and the father and the husband that we need to be. And I do my best. Uh, to stay fit and to um, to be the father and the husband and go the distance, um, but developing if you are a if you are a person who grew up without a father, a lot of times you're fearful. I had a conversation with a good friend recently in that regard. You're fearful of what it looks like to become a dad. You're like, I didn't get a very good blueprint to work off of. That's entirely fixable. My parents didn't. And by the grace of God, they raised uh, children um, who who love God and love their spouses. And both of my sisters have longtime, lifetime marriages. And I'm glad that they chose more wisely than I did. But they they love their spouses and they're going the distance. 
Then you've got, um, so you, so talking to just now people who grew up without a father figure, um, developing relationships with people that can be mentors and role models. Uh, my mom did this. She had a family friend, uh, someone that started off as a piano teacher to my sisters, and they developed a mother-daughter relationship. And they became very, very close. And my mom was blessed by the friendship. My sisters were blessed by the piano lessons. And that friendship was something that lasted until the, the woman passed away long after long after the piano lessons, uh, that friendship lasted. Mentors are something, and, and even sometimes surrogate parents, as it were, uh, people that, that, will, that will fill that role. And um, I have several men in my life that are wonderful role models of what a father looks like. I have several men in my life that are wonderful spiritual role models that I, I listen to and, and, and maybe even unconsciously model aspects of my life about. And I have role models in my life that are some of the nicest, most dangerous men you'll ever meet. They are, they are warriors. They are good with their hands. They're good with a knife. They're good with a gun. Um, they're good um, strategically thinking, tactically. And they're believers. Um, they are Christian men. And those mentors have greatly impacted uh, my life. And I will tell you, I even have a couple of people that I consider mentors in aspects of my life that are younger than me. And I think a lot of times as men, it's hard to humble ourselves and be like, hey, this person is ahead of me on this journey. Well, crud, he's 10 years younger than me. But that's true. It happens. And uh, so finding people that we can be mentored by uh, that have happy families healthy relationships. You look around your environment, and if you don't find it, you need to. Um, too many times, and this is a, is a shameful thing, I, I don't understand this, because of the way I'm wired, because of the way I was raised, men run away from the responsibility of being a father, whether they do so in the very home that they live with their children, and they are pathetic dads, or and sometimes I think they just don't know how. But the ones that really bother me are the dads that run away and never spend any time with their kids. Um, and those kids have every right to hate them. I have friends that didn't ever meet their dad until they were, you know, adults. And then they met their dad and went, I can totally see why mom didn't want you around. And it has left a lasting mark on their lives. They're good people and they're close friends of mine, but it has left lasting marks on their lives. Um, separately, I have friends who do not want to be parents because of their, their dad or their mom, because their dad or, or mom was so terrible. Again, role models, um, and healthy relationships and forgiveness can go a long ways. Um, I also have seen men completely run away and, and never have any contact with their kids. And that's where I was also going with that. I talked to a friend of mine that we're not friends anymore. Uh, he's very, he, he was very angry with me at the time, but his, um, soon to be ex decided that she was going to move from one side of the state to the other, literally, and that she was going to take, uh, his children, a couple of children, obviously with her and she could legally do that. And she was going to go to the exact opposite corner of the state as far away from him as she could get. 
And for everything that I know, he was not abusive. Now, if he was, shame on him. But from everything that I know, it was more her than him. That said, um, he decided to move out of state and work for a relative for cash, not pay child support, shame on him, not help his kids out, not be there for his children to grow up. And these two sons, it broke my heart because I was not allowed, and it's going to get me emotional, I was not allowed to be the full-time in-home father that I wanted to be, and I'm going to take a coffee sip break. I was not allowed to be the dad that I wanted to be to my son, who's now in his 20s. And I can tell you that in in that moment, talking to my friend, I said, listen, I, I need to tell you something that you're not going to want to hear. And I said, one day your sons are going to come and find you. And they're going to tell you, you were never there for me. I hate you. And I hope you die. And I've heard that story several times from different people that have done it uh, or have wanted to do it. And I said, and they'll have every right to do it because you won't have been there for them. And he's like, well, she doesn't want me around. Who cares? If, if these are your children, you do what it takes. You're a single guy, move to that corner of the state, get a job, live 40 minutes away from her. Um, but you pay your child support, pick up your kids on your weekends. Don't be a piece of crap, dad. And I saw this, like I had a, a lady tell me one day, I've, I've got a background in IT and I was fixing her computer and we were sitting there and I don't even remember what environment I was in. It was some kind of an office complex and she was talking about her kids and you know how you do. And I was talking about my son and, and when she found out that I picked up my son every weekend, that I asked for extra time with him in the, in the, the summers and during the week that I always volunteered to be a babysitter um, because I love my kid. And I wanted to be the kind of dad that I had. I wanted to be better. My parents kind of taught me that you're going to see an example that we give you that's going to be a pretty good example, but your job's to do it just a little bit better. And I don't know that they ever, ever said that out loud, but that was, that was what I got out of it as a kid. And I learned a lot. And so having learned these things, I wanted to pass them on and I wasn't allowed to be a full-time in-home dad. And so she turned to me when she'd listened to all the things that I did. I, I did um, assistant coaching for my son's soccer team. And there were times that I was in his town, you know, five nights a week, 45 minutes an hour from my house at times, two hours from my house, depending on where she'd moved. Um, most of the time I saw him two to three times a week. Um, especially during sports times, because it gave me extra time. And it wasn't always easy to get that time, but I, I was there for him. And he, I don't know if he is old enough yet to consciously realize what I poured into him and the sacrifice. I drove over dog tired, getting over being sick. Um, I, I stood outside in the rain and the wind and the cold and the heat and had to just about wet my pants sometimes standing outside waiting on his stuff to to get together so that I could be there for my son. I drove her, I mean, just so unbelievably tired before and and spent that time with him because he was my son. I remember one night I was so unbelievably tired and um, and I said, you know, I, I called him. I said, hey son, I, I want to come over tonight, but I am so tired, I, I it's been a huge day. Can I, can I work out with your mom for to change nights? And he's like, no, dad, I really want to see you. I really need to see you. And I'm like, okay, I'm on my way. And 
it's getting emotional to even think about it. So this lady turns to me and she's like, wow, you're, you're the perfect ex-husband. And she's, she's something like that. It's like, wow, you're, you're like the perfect ex-husband or whatever. And you're like the ex-husband every woman would want. And I'm thinking to myself, Ugh, I would much rather be the man that a woman would want to be married to than, than, a, than the perfect ex-husband. And, uh, so fortunately, my wife uh, thinks that I make a pretty decent husband or she hadn't got rid of me yet. So on that note, let's take a quick sponsor break and we'll come back and talk more about being a father. So uh, general response, uh, my buddy John Lee O'Reilly, incredible de-escalation skills. If you're in law enforcement or church security, if you're in the corporate world, or even you'd like to learn something about being able to de-escalate situations in your personal life, John Leo Riley, gentle response. Find him on the social medias and follow him. Secondly, uh, got your six coffee. And I, I sit here and sip this stuff. Um, I'm a big cup of Joe fan. If you're watching this, you can see the coffee cup that I've got. I cannot say enough about this company. I met, I met Eric and I'll, I'll tell the story today. Got your six coffee. One of my police officer friends um, that I chaplain and that I chaplain at the time, he had been involved in a terrible accident. He was injured very, very severely. He was in the hospital um, and awaiting surgery. And I visited with him and his wife and, and we laughed and joked about some different things. It ended up being a career ending injury and we knew going in it could be. And incredible story of how God did different things. But when they went into surgery, I went to an expo and I'm not a big expo guy. I don't really, I'm not really like, Hey, let's go pay money to walk around and look at stuff. And, uh, and I, I go, I just kind of felt like I needed to go. And I'm like, all right, I'll go kill 45 minutes or an hour or something. He's going to be in surgery for a couple hours. And I go in there and all these people are like, Oh, Oh wow. You need to go talk to this guy, Eric Hadley with got your six coffee. And I meet him and it has sparked a friendship that has spanned years. Um, I don't know how many times he has contacted me and said, Hey, um, I had a volunteer that couldn't make it, or can you come up and help with this? Or, Hey, let's just talk. And we have become friends and we discovered standing on this enormous concrete floor in the middle of this expo that we're on the same mission. And I was like, dude, we're the same tribe. I mean, he's my brother and his mission is taking coffee that I forget, it's like 80, he could tell you right now, 83 million Americans drink coffee every morning or something like that. And uh, I, I drank more than one cup. And, but a huge number of Americans drink coffee every day. And he uses that to take care of people who don a uniform of service, as he says, it's service to those who serve. And I have seen people put through training. I've seen people taken on holiday. As my British friends would say, I've seen people who um, their lives have been changed because of donations made. Kids have gone to camp um, that are, are uh, children of, of law enforcement or military. It, I've seen, I can't even begin to tell you how many things I've seen. And Eric is, Eric is just one of those guys that would give you the shirt off his back. And I have slept on his couch many times and gone on road trips with him. I've, I've ridden, you know, driven up there and parked my vehicle sometimes for days and ridden with him to events and helped him to get the message out about brewing better days, about using coffee and the proceeds from that coffee to change lives. And I have seen him uh, pinch pennies to make sure that 
that the lion's share of that cup of coffee that he just served, that bag of coffee, coffee he just sold, that that subscription, that lifetime, uh, you know, I'm a founding member in his company, that the proceeds from that go to the right people to help and protect them. Seriously, got your sixth coffee. He's not just one of my sponsors. He's one of my friends. When I offered him an opportunity to be one of the sponsors of my podcast, he jumped at it because we're brothers and we're on the same mission. And Matt Combs, Shield Force International, uh, incredible guy. And he's he's one of these guys that's younger than me that is really squared away, has a heart to protect and a heart to help. And he's also extremely good at what he does. And uh, I have taken knife defense classes from him, um, everything from church security, which he's very high speed. Uh, he's run alongside tier one operators and he also has a, an incredible training background and can train. Some people go and learn, but they can't teach. And Matt Combs with Shield Force, Shield Force International can absolutely teach. I've recommended him to female friends who have dealt with stalkers and dangerous situations because he teaches situational awareness and how to protect yourself as a lady. Um, and he even teaches a real a realtor safety course. But he also teaches uh, surviving the ambush and all of the, I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how many different things he teaches Matt Combs, Shield Force International. So back to talking about being a father. And a lot of being a father is showing a young man how to love a young woman. A lot of being a father is showing a young woman how to be loved. And uh, I, I had a lady tell me one time that she's like, I ruined about six guys. And if I could find them, I would apologize to them. And I'm like, wow. And uh, so I'm just listening. And she says, I, I was raised in a really, really abusive household. And she said, like, when I was, when I was a girl, um, my mom would pick at my dad until he would hit her and then she'd go make him dinner. So obviously her mom had been raised in a really abusive environment or at least had something very broken about her personality. And she said, so I would be with a guy. And once I decided that he was somebody I might want to spend some time with, I would start pushing at him and picking at him and like physically poking at him uh, verbally and emotionally picking at him until he did one of two things. I would keep it up until he would hit me or he would leave me. And I was floored when she said that. I just broke my heart. And she said, that was my normal. And um, I know of another lady, a friend of mine and a mentor told me this story, but she was in a relationship with a guy and they got into an argument at his apartment. And she, she literally went to his cabinet and began to throw everything but the kitchen sink at him. And when they were finally able to get the situation calmed down, um, <laughs> She's like, well, that's what you do when you have an argument. And then he's like, no, 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 go ask all of your friends. And then she realized she, as a 20-something in college, had been raised in an incredibly volatile, uh, incredibly abusive environment. And the reason I share these two stories is, and, and you guys admit, listening may have your own pain and your own things you've dealt with, these are the realities of growing up in, in abusive and destructive environments. And if you're a father, a mother, and you're in a relationship that you can learn each other, um, cannot highly recommend uh, Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage by Mark Gunger, please consider doing so because you don't get to pick your child's stepdad or stepmom. Your ex does. 
and they may do so based on their hatred of you. I have a friend that I told him some of my tales of woe from being divorced and of, of, you know, all of the different things that went with it, um, future step uh, siblings that, that my son had to deal with or, or boyfriends that were around his mom or whatever. You don't get to pick who the next person is that your, that your ex marries. And um, there are abusive men that will, that will hit your child or sexually assault your child. Um, there you're opening a whole new world when you walk out that door and um, I'm not saying stay if it's terrible. I, that's between you and, and God, but I can tell you that I saw a lot of things happen in that environment and it's not a lot of it's not good. I don't know how to, I don't know how to say it. It's just not good. I've seen that destructiveness. And so I was telling this to a friend of mine and he's like, wow, I think I needed to hear that. And it's in, I told him, I said, you know, you're, you're going to have, that's part of what he what resonated with him. I said, um, your ex may decide that, that your child is going to have to call her new boyfriend or husband, dad. And I saw him clench his jaw. I said, that's going to be the guy that coaches your son's team or, um, is out there playing catch in the yard. Um, that's the one that's going to teach your daughter to ride a bike. And I could see him clenching his jaw. And I said, you don't get to pick and you, if you're not there, I mean, I know people that their ex-wife's new boyfriend raped their daughter. I mean, there's bad people out there and it opens a whole new destructive world and there's a protective covering that comes off. Now I was in a relationship for two years that was incredibly abusive. I really, really did a bad job in picking a spouse. And what's funny is how many people that know me, um, are like, yeah, it's obvious that you picked a good one the second time. I, every time I see you guys out together, you're so happy and you guys have been together for 17 years and what a cry and shame that 17 years of marriage is considered a long time. Now, when I was a kid, I grew up in a church that they would have people stand up. And if you hadn't been married at least 50 years, nobody was impressed. Coffee set break. Nobody was impressed if you hadn't been married at least 50 years. And there were people in this church that had been married 65 years. We had one couple one time that had been married like 70 years and change. It was like 72 years. And they were like in their early 90s. And they they barely were able to stand up. And I remember people were just overwhelmed. And it was a very humbling thing as a little kid. I remember being 8, 10, 12 years old and thinking, okay, you've been married longer than my parents have been alive. You know, you've been married longer than, than like I've added my mom's age and my age and like, yeah, I mean, holy cow. Um, that, that was a very humbling thing. There's an old country music song. I come from a long line of love. When times get hard, we don't give up. Um, mm. And I was raised that way. I didn't get to do it the first time, but by the grace of God, I am doing it the second time. And so I shared all this stuff with my friend and he's like, wow, I think I needed to hear that. And I kind of looked at him and he's like, I wouldn't take well to some of the things that you've described. Well, then we need to be fully committed in the relationships that we're in. And I'm not saying that his relationship was healthy or unhealthy. I don't know. But I think in that moment, he needed to hear that. And if we want to show our kids that marriage is not a thing to be entered into trivially, 
Um, it's not a thing to be entered into. Relationships are not a thing to be entered into casually. Um, then we should probably do a good job ourselves. And I have friends who have had children with women who are absolutely awful. I had a conversation with a man whose wife cheated on him with a guy she met in a bar and she was fooling around in him with the truck in, in his truck in the parking lot with her with her children standing outside his children my friend's children standing outside the truck who we enter into with relationships with matters we're building a foundation and and if you've ever like a diving board for your kids to spring off of we are building a foundation for our kids to launch their lives off of so we should probably choose wisely and if we think that we're going to start a relationship with somebody in the sack and it's going to be this incredible relationship um who you spend the rest of your life with should not be based on the bedroom solely uh matter of fact it shouldn't be based on the bedroom um i'm just gonna say it there's a model that we were taught in scripture that i have done my best to live and that is that uh, you're not out there playing the field. It's quality over quantity. And you're looking for someone who has all of these characteristics. Um, all of these characteristics. It would kind of like be, it would kind of be like picking a house solely based on the bed to sleep in. So you're like, okay, I want a furnished house. And I'm going to pick the house based only on the bedroom and how comfortable the bed is. Not based on does the house leak, not based on is the foundation shifting, not based on is it in Tornado Alley, not based on the fact is it in a gang neighborhood um, and, and there's firefights that rage outside, not based on the fact that a serial killer lives in the next bedroom over. No, maybe we should start off with are the schools good in that area and is the neighborhood good and what are the neighbors like and how nice is the house? Maybe we should look at things that way. Well, relationships are like that. And so many times, I mean, I have friends that they've learned these lessons the hard way, but when they've learned these lessons, they've passed them on and they've learned these lessons of, you know, I have three kids and I barely see any of them. Uh, and I pay child support at the yin yang. And this is coming from a guy who paid child support for over 18 years or around 18 years, not quite 18 years rather, but, um, they these things happen and another aspect of being a good father is and i know this episode's running a bit long but i think there's value here um is staying true to the person that you're with and i can literally tell you every man and every woman i don't it doesn't matter if you are struggling on meth and have no teeth if you're 400 pounds and have you know, a skin disorder, you know, if, if you are alive, there's somebody that wants to take you from the person you're with. There's somebody that's looking at you going, mm, mm, mm. and there are people who look at, um, who look at your relationship jealously and they want to take it away from you. I remember being a young man and my dad coming home and my parents took every moment that they could to lovingly teach us, give us analogies. And I remember my dad coming home and just being overwhelmed. A guy he knew, um, and I come from a rural area, had been cutting firewood. A lady had called him and said, hey, will you come out to my house and deliver a, a truckload of wood? 
And he's like, sure. So he gets there and I guess she was a, a, a divorcee and I guess she was attractive and she made him an offer. He didn't refuse. If you'll take the firewood around back and stack it, I will do this, this, and this for you when you come inside my bedroom. So the man did, he was married. Uh, he cheated on his wife and what he didn't know was before he got home, she called his house and said, guess what I just did with your husband and then described him to his wife so that she would know this was my husband. He gets home and all of his worldly goods are being flung out the front door. Um, he lost his marriage over sex. It was not worth it. Um, you know, it destroyed his family and it damaged his children because of an affair. Don't do it. And I have had opportunities, even me. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's people that are like, oh yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that bald guy with love handles. Mm -mm -mm. Yeah. I don't know why, but there's people out there that are like, oh wow. Um, I guarantee you my wife has had opportunities, but here's the thing we should be devoted into our marriage. I've met people that are like, oh, we have an open marriage and what? No, every one of those has ended in divorce. And I mean, every one of those has ended in divorce, jealousies, all kinds of stupidities that come with it. And it's destructive and it, and it damages the children. So being a good father is oftentimes or being a good mother is oftentimes being a good spouse. I watched my parents at times slow dance in the kitchen. We were broke. If I, one of these, one of these days, I will tell you how I grew up. I'm in my early forties and I have more in common with your 80 and 90 year old grandparents, uh, in how I was raised. Uh, we, we was po, we was po white folk. Uh, I joke that we were so poor that we couldn't afford the OR. We was po. Um, but they didn't have two nickels to look, to rub together. And when I tell you the story, you'll be like, wow. So stay tuned for that one. But I remember growing up and not feeling poor because we were loved and, you know, running up and down the Ozark Hills and enjoying my childhood safe in the fact that my parents didn't hit each other. My parents didn't hit us. Now I got disciplined when I needed it. I got spankings when I needed it, but it wasn't to excess. Um, and I saw my parents love each other. I saw my, my dad reach over and pat my mom on the bottom. I saw my mom reach over and, and pat my dad on the bottom. I saw him come up and give her a kiss on the neck or her meet him at the door, wiping uh, her hands on a dish towel and giving him a kiss. Now, typically there's a, a, a height difference between men and women. Um, they call it being sexually dimorphic. You see it in the animal world. You see it in the human world uh, where uh, the males are typically taller or bigger than the women, not always, but my dad was taller than my mom and, and she would step up to the front door and it, before he would step inside, they were the same height. She would give him a kiss, wrap her arms around his, his neck and give him a hug. I saw that. I saw them many times do things in a healthy way. They, they had decided because my mom had seen her parents fight physically in front of her that she did not want to argue in front of us kids. And I think at times your kids need to know that you don't always agree because, um, it was so, it was so extreme for me that mom and dad would go for a walk sometimes when they would have a, a something to talk about. Sometimes a severe disagreement, we wouldn't even hear it at all. And yes and no, do I think that's good? I think in many cases, your kids need to know that you do disagree some, 
but they probably shouldn't hear the details of it, especially broadcast loudly and at length. And I remember my mom and dad were very mad at each other over something. I don't even remember what. And I remember thinking, oh my, you know, my parents are going to get a divorce because they were, I'd never heard them argue. And I'd had friends talk about the fact that, you know, their parents argued before they got a divorce. And I remember thinking, wow. So it's kind of funny how, how you remember things, but what a wonderful childhood to come away from to go, oh, wow, my parents, um, they, they argued in front of me and I thought maybe they were going to get a divorce because they argued in front of me. But, and when I talk about the things that my parents overcame because of their relationship with the Lord, because of the model that they had in front of them of people that had gone before them. Wow. Right. They, I had a, an older sister that was severely handicapped. I'll talk about that in other episodes. Um, she's with the Lord now, but my parents, and when I talk about, when I talk about some of the things they went through as an adult, you look back and you, you learn your parents as people and you're like, wow. And for the, for the good or the bad of how they parented, you learn them as people. I learned a hundred things from my parents that you do right. And I learned a small number of things, maybe, maybe, you know, 10 that you don't do. Well, that's because they're people. But that foundation is what your kids launch off of. And I saw my parents' faith. I saw, I saw their, their love for each other. They're choosing to stay together. Um, there are three killers of a marriage. And this really is going to be its own episode. But there's three killers of a marriage. And they are, they are money, how we choose to raise our children, and adultery. And if we can conquer those three, we can have a good, healthy marriage. So don't step out on your, on your spouse, no fooling around. And that means, uh, no, no looking and flirting on Facebook. Um, you know, no secret con, you know, contact through messenger. Um, you know, don't be looking at naughty pictures. Um, that means, that means find a standard by which you're going to raise your kids. Are they going to be raised in church or not? Are they going to be, which I would encourage you to do the former, oddly enough, being a, a civilian police chaplain, but also, um, how are you going to discipline? Um, what words are you going to use when you're disciplining? You know, what, what, what tactics and things are you going to use? Uh, and then finances. And I'm a, I'm a Dave Ramseyite. I have learned a lot from Dave Ramsey. I'm not, um, I'm not an absolutely perfectly strict adherent to his, uh, teachings, but I'm 42, and I have my truck for debt. Um, by the grace of God, our house is paid off, our property is paid off, um, and um, we've we've paid off different vehicles over the years. And um, I have very little to worry about in that regard, which actually opens me up for more freedom. And there's definitely a lot more peace in my marriage. Arguing. It, 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 that is caused by finances is huge and, and making financial decisions without our spouse's input, making selfish decisions without our spouse's input, input is huge. I almost could have broken this episode into two. I realize now talking about being a father, another aspect of being a father or a mother, uh, to our kids is it isn't what we give them. It's like physically, it's what we give them intellectually. I read to my son, even when he was in the womb with his, with his mom, when she and I were married, 
I read to my son his entire childhood. And I remember when he was about three, and I'll tell you this story and then I'll, I'll wrap up and pray us out. But I taught him to work and I didn't set out to teach my son to work at three years old, but he came to me and he's like, I want a dollar. And he's got his hand down. He's like, daddy, I want a dollar. I'm going to take a coffee sip break. So he turns around. He's like, daddy, I want a dollar. I don't, I don't just give my son a dollar. And I said, um, son, I'm not just going to give you a dollar. I'm like, no. And he's like, well, mama gives me a dollar whenever I want one. And my, my grandma and grandpa do, and my aunt does and whatever, you know, whatever that, whatever in that family circle. And I'm like, okay. I said, son, um, I'm not just going to give you a dollar. He's like, oh, he's very upset with me. And of course he's three, you know, going on four. And I said, why do you want a dollar? And I was trying to figure out a way to make this a fun teaching moment, something healthy. And so he says, I want a Hot Wheel. And at that point, he lived for Hot Wheels. That was his thing. I said, okay. I said, if you want to work for a dollar, and at that age, a dollar bill didn't have the allure of a bright, shiny quarter, but I didn't cheat him. I didn't short him. I, I laid out like four brand new bright, shiny quarters. And I said, I will give you a dollar for every one of these buckets you fill with rocks. And we were out in the barnyard. And if I've never talked about it, uh, my kids got to be raised on a ranch. So outside of town, um, over 60 acres, and they got to ride horses and different things growing up. Uh, pretty healthy environment. They got to see animals born and, and they got to see animals die. And I think that's a healthy part of a childhood. Um, if you're in your 20s and, and you experience the death of something for the first time, um, I don't know what that's like because I was raised around animals and different things and I got to see what death and life was like. I attended funerals as a kid, but I take my son out in the barnyard and I had a little, I had like a grain bucket and it was a, like a rubberized bucket, had a handle on it. And I set it down and I said, and I got to looking and thinking about it and I showed him what I wanted him to do. And here in the Ozarks, uh, we have a lot of rocks. So if you're from an area that is mostly dirt, wow, what that must be like, I don't know. Um, you know, I know people that talk about digging a hole to put a post in and they have to put massive amounts of concrete in because it'll just fall over what that must be like. I dug a hole once in Florida. That was, that was pretty cool. It was all sand and it kept filling itself back in. I come from the Ozarks. Um, we have a joke here that there are no, there's not a single rock in, in my area in the Ozarks. They're all married with grandchildren. My barnyard was just full of rocks all laying on the surface of the ground. And so I turned around and uh, my son's out there with me and he would fill this bucket with rocks. And I said, when you can't put another rock on and it falls back off, let me know. And I will take it. And I had a ravine that I was putting the rocks in. So I'm moving the rocks over. And uh, so as I'm doing this, he would fill it. He's like, daddy. And I'm, you know, doing some cleaning around the barn and stuff. And I'm like 30 feet from him the whole time. And um, like, all right, son. And so I would pay him. Well, um, he would put it in his pockets and he was so happy. And I figured he would do this one or two times. He made $5 that afternoon. He exhausted himself, his choice. And I'm like, wow, he learned to work and he learned to appreciate the value of a dollar because I take it back to his mom and he had me carry the money up. And this is something $5 and quarters are close to fill my hands he couldn't carry $5 worth of quarters at that age. He was, you know, he's a little kid. And so I come up to the door and he's like, mommy, you know, he's like, I made $5 this weekend. And she's like, you made him work. And this was a, this was a moment that we both, uh, my ex-wife and I both learned something very valuable. 
And uh, she did not think that was cool. And I said, well, he wanted to. And I said, I was working in the barnyard. And instead of him playing in the dirt with one of his cars, he turned around and he wanted to make some money. And I explained it to her. She didn't agree with it at the time. And um, then on the flip side, we go, uh, we go our separate ways. We agreed to disagree. I'm like, you do your thing. I'll do mine. And then a couple weeks later, um, she made the comment. She's like, you know, we're not going to give him money anymore. And I said, really, why? And she said, well, I went to the store with him. And when I went to the store, uh, he's like, mommy, I want a dollar. So I gave him a couple of dollars and he wanted to go over and he wanted to get a hot wheel. So he's like, uh, throws a hot wheel in the cart, uh, throws a hot wheel in the cart. He's standing up in the cart looking at the hot wheels. And she's like, well, why don't you, why don't you spend the money your dad gave you? I've got it here with me. And he's like, okay. And I guess she waited like 15, 20 minutes for him to pick out the next car. And she's like, hurry up. You know, we, we've got to get groceries and get out of here. And he's like, I worked for this money. And at that moment she was like, okay, we've, we've made a mistake with him. And, and that is that he didn't value a dollar and obviously he doesn't value the money he was just given. And that's, if you want to take that adults are like that, if you think about it, how many times do people mistreat things that they were given? Look at people who they get money for free every month. A lot of times they're not terribly responsible with it. And uh, I'm not judging. I'm just saying that's human nature. We value things more so that we, that we take uh, care of because we earned them. I can tell you I'm that way. And uh, so <clears throat> I've made my mistakes in my closing thoughts here on this, this extra long episode of the side of the badge. I've made many mistakes, but I've always tried to be there for my son. I've never lied to my son. I've always been honest with my son. He could always come to me and ask me questions. Not everyone in his life has been like that. He's caught people in lies um, growing up, friends and family. He's caught them in lies. And, um, you know, I've got relatives that have not always been 100% honest with him or whatever. That happens on both sides of families, right? We oftentimes want to paint the, mo the more... Um, uh, Hollywood version of ourselves for, for our kids or whatever. And I've been very honest with him. Uh, definitely have made mistakes and I have not been afraid to apologize to my son and say, Hey, that was probably not a good call. I, I wish I hadn't done that. But raising our children for me, it's to honor God. For me, it's, I get my, my life guidance. Uh, and, and a lot of my friendships come from being in church. I get a lot of, of, what I live for, my standards, and the things that I hold uh, dear come from my relationship with God. And hopefully that's something that my son and my and my my two stepchildren have seen. Um, hopefully those are things that they take with them. But I can tell you, I've looked into the lives of friends and family who have not had a father there. And if you've been around law enforcement very long, you've seen the destructive power that happens in people's lives when they don't have a father figure. And if you grew up without it, whether you realize it a hundred percent or not, it, it affected you. And, um, I, to this day do positive things with my wife because of, because of, um, the things I saw my parents do. And there were things that I saw that didn't go well, that mistakes that were made that I don't do. 
um, because I saw the good and the bad, the healthy and the destructive of those things. So I'm going to pray us out. That is a, a touch and a thought on being a, a godly, a good father. Our, our children shouldn't go, yeah, my dad was a cop. You know, my mom was a cop and, um, and I don't ever want anything to do with anything like that. And I don't want anything to do with them because, you know, they were an alcoholic or they were a terrible person to be around. Um, they, they beat on each other. They beat on me. Um, we shouldn't come from that. And if we did, we can draw a line in the sand. We can forgive because that's super, super healthy to forgive. We have to, in order to be fully productive human beings, we have to forgive. Super hard to do super important, but we can draw a line in the sand and say this far, no farther. I'm not going to repeat these mistakes. If you come from three generations deep of alcoholism, three generations deep of whatever, of, of, of physical domestic abuse or, or whatever, or just verbal psychological abuse. I've met people that were raised their entire lives with their parents calling them stupid. And oftentimes it has damaged them into adulthood. They, they're going to have to forgive recognize what happened and learn healthy ways of communicating. So God bless you. I'm going to pray us out and I'm looking forward to uh, sitting down and recording the next episode for you, which is called Brothers Keeper and uh, keeping things and our priorities in order. So dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for every man and every woman who is listening to this broadcast. Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity to speak into their lives. I, I pray that my words were your words and that they would reach people to go, you know what, you're right. I, I want to be the best husband, the best father, the best mother, the best wife that I can be. And uh, Lord God, I lift them up to you. I ask that you would protect them, guide them, not only closer to you, but keep them supernaturally protected. Lord God, as always, that you would bend the bullets around them, uh, that you would allow them to see that protection that you're providing them, Lord God. And uh, that when the bad guy runs at them, lunges at them with a knife, that the bad guy would stumble the bad guy would fall, that you would protect them supernaturally, Lord God, especially right now with the volatile nature of things in our country. I lift them up to you in the one name that makes it so, in your son Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Beside the Badge podcast. Stay safe out there and be sure to subscribe and share this podcast. 